We've been talking about um, our most fundamental structures, right, that, that we as humans are built on. Uh, the, the various things that make us us. Um, and, and how the, that these all feed into the things that we are or the basic things that we are seeking. And we talk about how we're lopsided people. In other words, uh, that I might fall a little bit over on this side and you fall a little bit over on this side. But really, when it comes down to it, we're all looking for some of the basic, uh, the same basic things. Um, Genesis 1 uh, points us to this idea and introduces mankind as being made in the image of God. Now that's that's generated a lot of a lot of thought over over you know the course of however long people have been reading the Bible. What does that mean? Uh, and certainly not all of the things that we're talking about. We're talking about five different items uh, that that kind of make up the basic uh, the basic structure of humanity. Not all of those. Are, are things that derive from this image. For example, we've talked about man's need for uh, some type of physical protection. We are physical creatures, and, and God is not, at least not in the sense that we understand it. Uh, and, and so that doesn't derive from God. Now, I certainly hope that, that God doesn't look like me. I'm going to be greatly disappointed, quite frankly, if I get to heaven and God looks like me. I'm like... I, I thought God could be a little bit better than that. Right? Obviously, I'm being sarcastic because I, I know for a fact that, that my physical nature is a, is a separate thing. God made that for, for here, and, and it, it's temporary. And, and I don't think we talked last week about um, our, our need for society and, and, and for justice and, and, and protection. And, and maybe, in a sense, that's connected. And as we go up this chain, we're, we're a little bit more connected to God. We, we started from the basic elements. But yet, I really don't think that God really has this strong need for his personal rights. Yeah, I, I think he just kind of, you know, he is what he is. He doesn't wait for people to protect him. Right? We have that in us. We, 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 want, we want the society to, the structure and, and, and rights and justice, and we want all that. God is justice. But, but it's a little bit more connected, you know, and, and we're gonna go through, as we go through these and, and work our way up in these structures, we see more and more that, that we are, uh, that the things that make us up derive from this image that we're made in. Uh, and so I wanna look at, um, one element. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 18. It's a little bit longer. Uh, that's all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And we'll be reading through verse 31. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, de- the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the wisdom of this world foolish? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom didn't know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message which was preached to save those who believe. 
The Jews required a sign. And the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God's chosen. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. There's a lot here, and we could go deep, deep into this passage. We're not going to do that. We're going to pull out just a couple of things here this morning. I want to look at this one verse here of Particularly, verse 22, it says, The Jews demand signs, or a sign, and the the Greeks seek wisdom. And one of the things, as we work our way up from the base, physical things, one of the things we do is we are intellectual beings. That is, in the nature and image of God. This desire to seek and feed our mind. We all have it in some way, shape, or form. Now, the things that you might find stimulating are not the things that I might find stimulating, and vice versa. That's just, you know, some of the things that when I preach or I teach, I I teach from a a particular love for some things. So, some of you, you like history, you're good with me. Some of you don't, you're like, hmm. It's who I am. I'm lopsided over there. Sorry. This is the way God made me. And you're lopsided over somewhere else, right? We're all lopsided. That's why, that's what is awesome about us, is that God has made us to, and filled all these areas for us to feed our minds with. And as a church, God, God says that there's all these wonderful parts that come together and they're joined and they're knit together. And I do that. And the Spirit does that. And it's wonderful the way it works when it's all together. When we look at this verse and looking for the intellectual, it almost looks like these two groups are opposite, doesn't it? It almost reads like, like, like these two groups are opposite. We got the Jews, the, the rabbis over here in the time of Christ, but they wanted a sign. But over here, uh, you had all the, the philosophers, and, and they, wanted, they wanted the wisdom. But the problem was, is it, it, what we really need to look at is they were both seeking the same thing. They were just seeking it different ways. They were both interested in the intellectual. They just defined it differently. It's the same instinct. There are some different ways to, to feed this intellect. And we're going to look at those. Matthew chapter 12, I want to look at the first way. And this, this goes back to what Jesus is talking, what Paul's referring to. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to seek a sign from you. But he answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given 
except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in uh, uh, three nights in the belly of the great fish for three days, uh, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. One of the first ways that we seek the intellectual is to to look for something concrete. We talked about a lot about concrete and abstract last last week. We want something uh, something. Uh, here, let me back up here for just a second. We want something firm, and that was what a sign was. A sign was intellectual to them. This was something we can grasp. It wasn't. It wasn't the that the Greeks were intellectual and the Jews weren't. I mean, some of the greatest scholars were Jewish scholars, the rabbis. But they just they were lopsided over on one side. They were they wanted concrete evidence. What's the bottom line? Where does the data point? What's the evidence? We like evidence. Then there's wisdom. Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 21. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, the devout persons, in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for it is strange to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. So all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And so the, other, the idea is, is in seeking wisdom. And we have to understand what was meant by wisdom. Wisdom wasn't the definition simply of knowledge. But it had to do with the Greek idea, the sophia. Right? The... the Philosophy, that's where philosophy comes from, from wisdom, from Sophia. And it was a specific kind of learning that they thought was, was smart. It, was, it wasn't just concrete, it was, it was abstract, and, and they liked that. And just sit around and, and teach and, and learn these new things. At the time of, of Christ, there were different branches of this Sophia. Some divide it into five, some into three, but the main ones, are there's two that are mentioned here, Epicurean and Stoic. There's another one called skeptic, uh, and, and to them, skepticism would be a little bit different from, from what, what you and I uh, understand as skepticism, right? You, you know, a skeptic is a person that doesn't believe anything, right? Uh, they just pick your point apart. Well, that's kind of true. But an Epicurean, first of all, an Epicurean was a, a person that they thought that fulfillment in life was enjoying life, right? Just, just uh, the... Uh, True meaning, true wisdom was to, to be simple and, and to enjoy a good meal and to, to enjoy the nature. And, and that was really, it, it got down a, a bad path. It didn't start in a bad path. and It started kind of like Solomon. And it got to where people just thought, well, if really enjoyment is, uh, is the meaning of life, I'm just going to enjoy what I want to enjoy, good or bad. And, I'll, you know, the ends justifies the means and the whole thing. And it got to a really dark place. 
in Epicureanism. But it didn't start that way. There was the Stoics. They were the opposite. They thought that a denial of pleasure was where you would find meaning. Just be Stoic. Don't enjoy it. Don't laugh. No jokes. No nothing. Just, just That's what we talk about. A Stoic person. We need knowledge. Right? Just knowledge. I was like a, a kind of a Socrates kind of a person. Right? Just knowledge. Aristotle. Knowledge. Just, just the facts. And, um, and philosophy. And spend your, don't waste your time on all that, that enjoyment junk. That's just a frivolous waste of time. Then there were skeptics. Right? And we think of a skeptic as kind of a person that's just like, they just, their enjoyment in life is tearing anything you say apart. Right? You know people like that. But, but a skeptic was a person that, that didn't believe in absolute knowledge. They, they, they just believed there really wasn't anything. It was whatever you wanted, your personal truth. And so you can kind of see why, why Paul is ripping wisdom here. He's not ripping wisdom itself. He's ripping this idea, the, the Greek concept of wisdom or concepts. The Jews had... Everybody has this basic idea of something they're trying to fulfill, but the Greeks were seeking it wrong, and the Jews were seeking it wrong. There's this basic thing that you're looking for, and he's like, you're going to find fulfillment in God. This is a basic element that we have, but we have to fulfill it the right way. We are really pretty much the same as I talked about in talking about abstract and concrete we lean towards one side or the other you either like concepts and ideas or you like data just give me a spreadsheet don't waste my time with your ideas right and no matter what, what person we are, we think that ours is the most substantial. That's the funny thing is, is whatever person you are, you think yours is the concrete one. You, you think that really, true fulfillment is in whichever pursuit that you like, in feeding your intellect. But if we go back and, and, and look at Matthew... Really, the idea wasn't that the Jews were wrong for seeking a sign. I, I, I really tried to wrestle with that because here's Jesus providing lots of signs. Why would Jesus provide signs if it was wrong for them to seek a sign? That's, it's like that seems contradictory to me. It wasn't that they sought a sign. That, that's not necessarily what was wrong. But I believe it was the way, much like the Greeks had a problem in the way they were looking for wisdom. It wasn't that they wanted wisdom. It was the way they were looking for wisdom. And I think likewise, the way that the rabbis were pursuing the sign, what they did, they had a particular thing that they were going to allow Jesus to prove. In other words, it wasn't how many signs that they wanted to see or 
or whatever. It was that they were only going to accept a sign that proved that Jesus was who they wanted him to be. Jesus was going to have to be a political Messiah and that that was the only sign that they were going to accept. Show us something that we want to see. Show us you're the God that I want. Well, we see that in society. We see that in religions today. People will only accept the Christ that they want. And this, this happens from all perspectives. We were talking about this kind of in our, our, our morning class, the, 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 the light, fluffy God. And some people will only accept the light and fluffy Jesus. And yet here's, here's the book of Revelation talking about God pouring out these, these vials of wrath. I don't like that picture. And God says, well, that's who I am. And that's in the New Testament, so you're going to have to like it. That's a part of who I am. There's a merciful God. But, but some people are only willing to accept the God that fits into their little thing. And that was the sign. You show us that sign and we'll accept you. If not, we'll try to kill you. And we're so sure that we're right. So sure that that's the, the, the only right way to seek it. If they had really been interested in signs, there were plenty there to see. If they really wanted to look at the bottom line, the bottom line was there. The, the rule of true research is to go where the facts lead you. Right? That's, that's, you ever start out somewhere and you end up in a completely different place. Like, I didn't think that I was going to go there. But they tried to compel the truth to stay within a narrow limit in their research. Now, the Greeks here in this passage falsely prided themselves on their enlightenment. And we've, we've discussed that. Theirs was an intense rivalry. It wasn't just, okay, you believe. But the Stoics were pretty sure that the Stoics were the only ones that were right. And the Epicureans, same. And the skeptics. Like the Jews, because they're built on the same structure, they were convinced that their interpretation of things was the only one that was right. And in this passage, what do we see? We see them talking to, to Paul. And when it comes down to it, they were only interested in, we'll listen to you. They were at least willing to listen. But when it came down to it, once Paul started off on something else, they're like, that doesn't fit within my limited scope. I'm not willing to listen to it. Not anymore. It was entertaining for a little while, but it's not right. So we want to look then at how to fulfill, many ways to fulfill this. We could do this sermon right here. Fulfill your need for intellectual stimulation by studying your Bible, right? That sermon's been done a billion and three times. And it's true. That's not wrong. But it's been preached. Or, or evidences, right? It's, it's, 
go to our website. We have a, a we did a class what two years ago on, and some of you were here for that. Some of you might not have been here for that. We did a, a long study on evidence. I'm not saying that these things are bad or incorrect. We did a study on evidences. How do we know the Bible's true? How do we know that God exists? And how do we know Jesus died and rose again? Those are valuable evidences. There's a lot of material there. But I want to go beyond that. I want to look <clears throat> uh, at what the Bible doesn't say. First of all, before we get to this, we've spoken, first of all, about knowledge. And we've, we've talked about throughout these things about the eternal fulfillment and how there's a fulfillment then and there's a fulfillment now. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about knowledge in heaven. There are verses that are taken out of context. Um, like 1 Corinthians 13, which is not about heaven. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about that later. But Hebrews 8 has an interesting statement. I want to read a larger section than this, but Hebrews chapter 8, and it begins in verse 6, where we're going to read. Hebrews chapter 8, and beginning in verse 6, <clears throat> he says, He's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, no place would have been sought for a second, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, I disregarded them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, and I will be merciful to their uh, unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first one obsolete. What is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. There's some deep ideas in here. And, and again, we don't have time to go into all of these deep ideas. Both of these intellectual tendencies that we've talked about have a proper place if, if they're used correctly. Uh, But he says in this covenant, he says, because our idea is, how do we fulfill this need now? Because I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven. I don't know if I'm going to know everything in heaven. I have an idea that a lot of ideas that we have about heaven are going to be found to be completely wrong. Like I'm going to get up there and know everything. I'm probably not. In fact, a lot of the things we talk about, how, oh, I, I hope when, when I get to heaven and, and uh, this thing that I've always wanted to know, the question I'm going to ask Jesus, and, and Jesus is going to... I think when we get there, a lot of those questions are going to be like, that was a stupid question. I, I really don't care about that anymore. Uh, that's just kind of my, my understanding, my opinion about what it's going to be like. But I want to talk about abstract information Abstract concepts are valuable. 
do not confuse what I'm saying when I say this. Um, abstract does not, first of all, does not imply subjectivity. There is absolute truth. All right? The skeptics didn't believe in that. It's kind of funny because it's been rebranded again and again and again. We talk about, you've heard the phrase non-binary. That's just the newest phrase. Before that, well, a few years ago, people talked about nuance. Nuance, nuance, nuance. That's just the older version. Before that, they talked about uh, situation ethics. Remember that? Yeah, that's an old version of the same exact thing. Before that, they called it moral relativism, subjective morality. It goes by lots of names. And it goes all the way back to Plato and, and Herodotus. Hundreds of years before Christ. It's the same stuff, the skepticism. There's no real knowledge. There's no real truth. It's whatever you want. I'm not saying that. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Abstract does not imply subjective. What this says, Hebrews says, these are, it's a different way of teaching absolute truth. Absolute truth is taught now in abstract ideas instead of the Old Testament where the, the absolute truth was identified. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. These are very concrete ideas. And Jesus says, the principles are still going to get you to the same place. In fact, they're going to get you a better way because I'm going to teach you abstract. I'm going to teach you to love. That's absolute. It's an absolute requirement. And we talked about last week, if, if my brain was bigger and I could envision this perfectly, I would know exactly what Jesus wants. Right? I would know exactly what love is. I, I might not have that perfect definition and being able to fit in my brain because I'm limited. But God says, here's another concept. Try to stay away from the line. I'm not going to give you a line because I don't want you to get close to it because that's what we do. You get in a fight with a sibling if you share the room... Draw a line down the middle. Boom. And then what are, what are boys doing? Trying to get close to the line. Right? That's what we do. Get close to the line. I'm almost on your side. Right? That's what we do. So God says, I'm going to take away the line. So that you don't go close to it. Stay away from the line. It doesn't mean there's no line. It's just you can't see it. I'm going to teach you abstract ideas. Mercy. I'm going to teach you compassion and care and love and faith. All these ideas. I'm going to write them. They're in your minds, but, but they're in your hearts as well. It's a different way of teaching through abstract. But then there's also concrete. Concrete evidence. Again, this is where we could go back and talk about Things that are premised on evidence. Josh McDowell, Evidences That the Van de Verdict, or Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. Great books. I use that information all the time. I want to look at a different passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 
Beginning in verse 1, he says, This will be the third time I'm coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. I have told you before, and I tell you again, if I were present the second time, now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before, to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ, speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you, for though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we are weak with him. We will live with you, with him by the power of God towards you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are disqualified. But I trust you will know that we are not disqualified. That's kind of a dizzying section. The short of it is this. Here's a church that was having difficulty with trust. They, they were, had a lack of self-confidence, and they had a lack of confidence in Paul. And so Paul is trying to give them a different way. He doesn't launch into a scientific uh, thing. He, he, he refers to something and said, I'm going to come there, and I'm going to give you personal evidence. You'll, you'll see me in my demonstration. And then we'll have the evidence you need. Why don't we just do it that way? Right? You're having difficulty trusting the letters I write to you. I've written a couple. You're having some difficulty with them. I'm just going to come. How's that? And then you can trust me. You can see me in work. Paul knew this idea. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is a weird verse. Faith is evidence. That's a strange statement. Faith to us is abstract. Evidence is concrete. These two do not exist in the same phrase. They shouldn't be together. And Hebrews puts them together. He says one is a synonym for the other. Faith is evidence. Because it is a concrete demonstration. The evidence of how you live will be far more powerful than being able to recite any manual on science or archaeology or anything you will ever do. Faith. Your faith is evidence. So you can memorize that material that I spent hours accumulating from this source and that source, and I'm telling you it's not the most powerful thing you can do. And that's where we want to conclude. I wonder, and I have wondered, if, if we should come up with a different phrase than worship service. You ever thought that? It's a weird phrase. I wonder if we send the message that I'm the one being served when I come here. It's the worship service. 
because we get preoccupied with what we are receiving. All you need to know is to, to listen to phrases. You've either heard them or said them or... I didn't get much out of the sermon. Well, sometimes, there's, sometimes there's thinkers. I, I know that. Yeah, that one didn't go off like I thought. Ah, the song selection. I really didn't care for the song selection this time. No, it was good, Travis. I'm just saying. <laughs> but see, look at that. Even that. It was good. Like, I approve. I had to approve of that. Good selection, Travis. I approve. Like, my opinion matters. It's not serving me. It makes no difference if Travis' selection matters to me. If I leave and say, that was a great selection of songs. It's not for me. The worship service is for God. We are serving God. Whether it be Sunday school or, or whether it be youth group projects that we're doing, we are here for God. And how that impacts my life as I leave here and spend 111 waking hours outside of this room. And we think that the three hours here is, is the important part because it's the worship service. It's valuable. But God says, be the evidence. Let your faith be the evidence in those other 111 hours. Be the evidence for somebody else. It, it might involve, they might love history. And it might involve that. So, that's good information. It will certainly involve your understanding of scriptures. <clears throat> but before it is that, it might be caring in a very difficult situation. It might mean patience with a very rude coworker because you don't know what they're going through in their other hundred and whatever hours. It might be taking time out for comforting a person. This, this just is a million things it could be. That's evidence. When, when a person sees that, or when a person sees your demonstration of faith, when a person sees that, that you are conscientious in whatever you're doing, even though you don't like it, even though you're asked to do stuff that really you feel beneath you, or whatever, whatever the situation, I'm trying to imagine all sorts of scenarios that we encounter. And you can apply these in your own way. When people see that demonstration, that's evidence and likely, that's when they'll become interested in the information. It probably won't work the other way around. It might. You might just have the perfect, perfect co-worker that only wants to discuss 
information. And that's what's going to bring. I don't know. But God says that, that, that really faith is evidence. That with God, the abstract and, and the concrete really are the same thing. With us, we divide those into two things. But the challenge is uh, to, to leave here and to become evidence of things that, that they can't see.